Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. And today is the beginning of daylight savings time, right? And so you lost an hour of sleep, didn't you? Well, I don't think you lost any beauty sleep. I think you're all good looking enough. And, you know, when I think about the, the name of this series we're in, we started last week, we're continuing this week, and we will in the weeks ahead. It's called Awaken. And so maybe that's what we need. Awaken. Don't fall asleep now just because you lost an hour of sleep. And when I first heard that title for the series, Awaken, I thought about having to wake up early. And I do not like to wake up early. In fact, honestly, I don't wake up on, uh, early on purpose. <laughs> I just don't do that. I've been heard to say due to unfortunate circumstances, I got up early and uh, unintentional. And um, when you think about it, uh, getting up early, some people say, well, you're lazy if you don't get up early. But I always say, well, you're lazy for not staying up late. <laughs> you're, you might as well stay up late and ring in the morning at 1 o'clock in the morning. But it, and, and they say early bird gets the worm, right? Uh, but I'd rather be a night owl because the owl is known for being wise, right? And so that is, that is a, a way of thinking about awaken, but actually uh, the, the way we're looking at it from the series standpoint is we're going to wake up to who Jesus is and what he's done and how that can impact our lives. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about... Um, the miracles of Jesus and how that can get us in touch with who Jesus was and who he remains to be even today. Um, miracles are defined as amazing events that manifest supernatural acts of divine origin. Now think about that definition. It's amazing events that manifest supernatural acts of divine origin. Uh, it's from the Latin word miraculum, meaning object of wonder. Object of wonder. And in fact, there's a, a root word, scenarios, meaning, get this, to smile. Isn't that neat? To smile. Because that's what happens when we experience a miracle. We smile. I think Jesus smiles, and we can too. And so as we look this morning at the miracles, I want you to get a little trivia, first of all. Uh, Jesus did 37 miracles, and his first miracle was turning the water into wine at Canaan. His last miracle was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified, where the soldiers came to arrest him. And one of the soldiers was named Malchus. And now Peter was trying to defend Jesus took a knife and cut Malchus's ear off. Well, Jesus took that ear and put it back and healed Malchus. That was his last known miracle. And then, if you think about all the miracles Jesus did during his lifetime, there were miracles of uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, walking on water, multiplying fishes and loaves, and so, uh, as we think about miracles, we want to 
we want to discover how that can get us in touch with who Jesus was and is. You know, there are categories of miracles. Um, there's natural miracles. The human body is a, a natural miracle. It's miraculously created and put together and, and works beautifully in harmony. Um, you know, my dad was a, an MD, a medical doctor, for 44 years before he passed. And my brother and I were talking to him one time about had he seen any miracles in his practice of medicine. And he said yes, one or two. But then he said something interesting. He said, you know, the greatest miracle of all is that the body heals itself. I thought that was neat. And so there's these natural miracles that just naturally occur. The conception of the birth of a baby, that is a miracle. And some mothers say, wow, after they have that child, that was a miracle. I made it through that, right? I'm glad you ladies do the birthing and not us. I don't think men could make it through. But then there's medical miracles, the, the miracles of medicine and, and even, example, the vaccine that's coming out for the coronavirus. And there's the, the miracle of uh, procedures and surgeries, and, and we can just thank God for those. And they're in the natural realm. What about the supernatural realm, which is actually where we are astounded at something that happens? There's, there's the born-again experience, which is a miracle. When you think about the fact that Jesus can come into a person's life, forgive their sin, give them a home in heaven, that is a miracle. And when we, we think about uh, a life-changing experience with Jesus, uh, up in Hiawatha Youth Camp, which our, our church runs a camp up in the UP, and many of you have heard of the Miracle Building, right? That's the main place where a lot of the um, preaching goes on. And when Pastor Billy Sr., who's now in heaven, when they named that building, it was for the miracles that would happen there. And they did over the years, the decades, and Pastor Billy Sr. would preach every Tuesday night, give the gospel simply, and young people would come to know Jesus and begin a new life in him. And there would be that miracle of being born again. There's other miracles supernaturally. There's supernatural healings where someone is sick and dying and Jesus heals them unbeknownst to the doctor's ability. Many of you know my, my wife, Jolinda, went through an illness. Uh, it's been about 20 years ago now, but as a, uh, a wife and a mother in her mid-30s, she got pneumonia, and she got it so bad in both lungs, she was on a ventilator for 11 days. And the doctor came to me in the waiting room, and he said, Dan, I'm sorry, I don't think she's going to make it through the night. There's less than a 50-50 chance she'll survive. And I just wasn't ready to give her up. And so I called some fellow pastors and deacons from a church where I pastored there. This was in Kansas. And we gathered around Joinda's ICU bed. 
She's on the ventilator. She's sedated. She doesn't know what we're doing, and yet we know that we're there to, to call out to God for healing. And you know, there was a sense of the Holy Spirit leading right there towards that healing. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. Hours after that, her lungs started clearing up. The next day, even more. Next day, they took her off the ventilator. And it was a miracle of God. And she stands as a testament of the supernatural uh, ability of God to heal someone. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. I understand that. And actually, the ultimate healing is for someone to go on to heaven. And yet, I'm glad that God intervened and gave her to me um, for 43 years of marriage so far, three kids, seven grandkids later. In fact, our kids were the age of the grandkids when she was sick. That was a healing. And God is still in the business of healing people. And so don't, don't miss that because that is so true. There's... Uh, also, supernatural miracles like near-miss tragedies. Have you ever had a near-miss tragedy where uh, just so happened that you made it through, right? Um, back when I was a, a young youth pastor in my mid-20s, I also worked on the side as a carpet layer. And me and my crew had worked all night at a mall laying carpet. And I was tired. I was by myself driving home. Uh, driving on the interstate, actually, and I fell asleep. Fell asleep at the wheel. Went right off the road, down into this ravine. Of course, I was awake at that point, and and I'm stopping the car, and it wasn't too bad, wasn't too steep, so I just actually backed out, and I was kind of shaken up. I think, thank you, Jesus, and I I got out of the car, and I noticed something. I went back to where I'd run off the road. There was an abandoned car, and the tire tracks of me going off the road were three feet away from the back of that car. That's a near-miss miracle. And then I, I, I drove ahead a ways, and, and I noticed that there was a, a very giant ravine just a quarter mile up. I actually turned around went back, there was a giant ravine a quarter mile before I had gone off the road. A near-miss miracle. God didn't want to take me at that point. And I knew it was a miracle, and I, I thank Jesus for being the, the one who saved me that day physically. Then there's divine coincidences. Divine coincidences ever had that really we call them providences right the providence of God and some of you've heard before we bought this building we were trying to sell the other building down Eureka here four years in hadn't sold it hardly anybody had looked at it and we were desperate and as Pastor Billy tells the story uh, then came the day that Pastor Dan robbed a bank <laughs> and actually it's a little different than that. I was, I was doing my banking, and the guy next to me was robbing the bank. And uh, check the divine coincidence here. He gets out quietly. They lock down the bank, call the police. we got to wait to give police statements. And there's half a dozen of us there, and we're sitting in the lobby waiting. And this woman turns to me. She said, 
you know, you pastor this church, don't you, down the road? I said, yeah. My, she says, my mom goes to that church. And by the way, you're in this other church now, right? And I said, yeah, Calvary Baptist. And she said, oh, I guess you guys sold your building. I said, no, we're still looking for somebody to buy it. She says, really? We were interested in it, then we weren't. And we thought we, you sold it, but wow, we're still interested, I think. And she said, get this, she says, we've got a board meeting tonight, and I'm on the board of that nonprofit that wants your building. <laughs> she brought it up that night. They looked at it three days later, and they bought the building 30 days later. That was a divine coincidence that was really a providence. And so the, the supernatural miracles were all around us. We just need to keep our eyes open to them. But... Get this, there's another category you may not really have thought of, and that's the deceptive, demonic miracles. You say, well, can demons do miracles? Can Satan do miracles? In a way, he, he tries to counterfeit Jesus' miracles, make it look like a miracle, and naive people will fall for that. Psychic prediction, somebody predicts your future. There's a little supernatural going on there, but it's not really of God. Channeling the dead. Talk to your dead relative, and they say hi to you. And this person tells you things you don't know about yourself, only you and your loved one would know. Is there a power going on there? Yes, but it's a demonic deception. Even things like UFOs. Remember what was the last month that the airline pilot in New Mexico, 35,000 feet, and he sees this cylindrical object pass over the plane. Unidentified flying objects. Are they real? In a way, but they're meant to deceive people into believing something supernatural that's really not of God. You know, it's interesting. Back in Jesus' day, unbelievers believed in miracles, and they believed that Jesus did miracles. But what's interesting, especially the religious leaders back in his day, attributed what he did miraculously to Satan. Isn't that interesting? In, in Matthew 12, 24, it's, they actually said that this man, Jesus, cast out demons in the power of Beelzebub, or Satan. Wow, now that is totally and certainly illegitimately ironic. And yet, they still believed in the miraculous. Now today, we've got a lot of cynics, don't we? A lot of skeptics about miracles. And yet, I'm here to tell you that the miracles of Jesus are real. They have purpose, and we need to understand them. And the purpose of miracles, think about it. We need to wake up to the miracles of Jesus proving some things. The first couple is that he was and is divine and is all-powerful. The miracles of Jesus prove that he is the uh, human form of God himself, that he came into the world clothed in flesh and yet divine. So the deity of Jesus is what theologians call it, is proved by every miracle Jesus ever, ever did and every miracle he continues to do in our lives. And then we also need to wake up to these miracles proving 
that his gospel message is as great as his miracles. Jesus actually did miracles to get the attention of the people to share the kingdom with them, the message of the kingdom through him, that he was, he was going to die for their sins and be buried and resurrected the third day, and that they could believe in him and have hope beyond the grave and eternal life in heaven. You know, Billy Graham said something interesting, thinking about miracles. He said the main reason for Jesus' miracles was to demonstrate that God was with him and that he was the promised Savior sent from God. How true that is. Don't miss that. Don't miss that yourself. And also be ready to tell others that, hey, this this is the reason Jesus was miraculous. This is the reason Jesus just did a miracle for you. To show you that he's divine. To show you that the message of the gospel is real. And also, a couple others, we need to wake up to is that, that Jesus was and is greater than sin, death, and the devil and his demons. And so the miraculous Jesus is the one that can forgive sin, the greatest miracles of all. He can, he can conquer death. He did himself in his own resurrection. He will resurrect those unto eternal life who believe in him. He, he can transform death into life. He even said of himself, I am the resurrection and the light. He who believes in me, though he die, he will live. Awesome stuff. And then also, we need to wake up to that. It, these miracles prove that he was and is the creator of nature and controls the forces of nature, like the wind and the waves. When Jesus' disciples, back in his day on the Sea of Galilee, storm comes up and the the water's breaking into the boat. They're about to be swamped, and they feared for their lives. Jesus sleeping in the boat. They wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we're going to drown? He stands up in the boat, and he lifts his hand, and the wind stops blowing, and the waves start lapping into the boat. There is calm. He was able to overrule nature because he created nature. He created the wind. He created the water. So why can't he control it? That's the point. He did because he was the creator. Augustine, who's an early church bishop back in the 3rd century, 300 A.D., he said, something interesting in this regard. He said, miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature. Think about that. That is true. We think we know it all, and yet we don't. And that's one of the reasons miracles strike us as astounding. We need to be astounded by the miracles of Jesus and just let it stay at that. They may not be totally explainable or comprehensible, but let them prove to you that, that this is who Jesus is. And he's the one that wants to have a personal relationship with you. How awesome is that? 
Well, let's, let's check out a particular miracle. Now, what I'm going to do is just summarize this miracle. We're going to read it out of the scriptures. So if you want to look in your Bibles in John 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14 and 12, I mean 22 to 27, and it'll be up on the screen as well. But I want you to um, follow along as we see Jesus multiply fishes and loaves. After we summarize it too, after that, we will show you that there's, I mean, only in, the, in, in this particular chapter in the New Testament is this true. It gives us, and Jesus talks about how we respond to miracles in the wrong way and how we should respond to his miracles in the right way. It's fascinating. But follow along as we look in John 6. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles they had seen him do among the sick. When he got to the other side, he climbed a hill and sat down, surrounded by his disciples. It was nearly time of the Feast of Passover, kept annually by the Jews. When Jesus looked out and saw the large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this to test Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, Andrew, uh, brother to Simon Peter, said, there's a little boy here, has five barley loaves, two fish, but that's not enough for a crowd like this. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There were large areas of green grass in this place. They sat down, 5,000 men plus others. Then Jesus took the bread and, giving thanks, gave it to those who were seated. Right there's where the miracle happened, by the way. He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. When the people had eaten their fill, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. They filled 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. The people realized that God was at work among them in what Jesus had just done. They said, this is the prophet, God's prophet, right here in Galilee. Oh, wow. Isn't that awesome? I want you to check out the who, what, where, when, and why of this, right? First of all, the who in verses 1, 2, and 3. You got Jesus, obviously, the Son of God, on the scene. You got his disciples there which are still kind of picking up on who he is, then this multitude of people, all right? Those are the characters in this drama, the who. And then the what, you got the, the feeding of the 5,000. But that's just men. Some of their wives are there. Kids are probably there. 10, 15,000 people, at least 10,000 plus. And so what happens? The miraculous multiplying of these five loaves of bread and two fishes into enough for everyone. Imagine that. Probably we took hours to hand this stuff out. This was astonishing. This was amazing. This was a, had divine origin. They had 12 extra baskets left over for crying out loud. And then the where. This is kind of interesting. It was the small mountains by the Sea of Galilee. 
And this is important because now these mountains are hills. They're probably no more than 1,000 feet. And yet, uh, people had been following Jesus. They got the Sea of Galilee, which is like a big lake. And people could actually see out on the lake Jesus in the boat. And he had healed some sick people on that shoreline. He's in a boat going to the other shoreline. They're going to follow around on land and catch up to him. And people follow, and they're saying, uh, this man just healed some sick people. Let's see what he's going to do again. And so that's the where of it. And, and we notice also the when. And sometimes we don't catch these. This is kind of just embedded in this passage, and yet I think it's significant. It's near Passover. So can we discover when this was? Now, this was not early in Jesus' ministry. It wasn't late in Jesus' ministry. And if he ministered from 30 A.D. to 33 A.D., then probably 32 A.D. And Passover is mid-April. And so we're talking a little bit before the middle of April or a little bit after the middle of April, 32 A.D. This is real, and we need to understand the historical context makes it even more real. That's the when. And then the why. Why? In verse 14, they respond, and they call him the prophet. And so the why is to show that Jesus was the compassionate, miraculous, and promised prophet. These people knew their Old Testament, or at least the word had spread. In Deuteronomy 18, the fifth book of the Bible, called the Pentateuch, actually the last book in the Pentateuch, or the Torah, in Deuteronomy 18, it talks about the prophet, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet's coming. One day the prophet will come. That was thousands of years before Christ, and yet they were predicting the Messiah, who would later be called Jesus. And he was to bring promise. Now, some think that he was going to take over the world and make the Jews rise to prominence again, put down the Roman Empire. And so sometimes it was merely a religious thing or a political thing. And yet, this miracle showed them that this man could be that prophet predicted in the Old Testament. But now I want you to understand something. I want you to discover with me, like no other place in the New Testament, that there's three, there's three wrong responses to miracles. And I don't want you to respond to miracles in the wrong way. I don't want the people you reach out to and talk to about this, uh, respond in the wrong way. I want you to know how to be able to help them respond in the right way. But we got to know the three wrong responses first. And notice here in, in John 6, if you look at verse 2, we see something. We see curiosity, mere curiosity, just curiosity. Some just wanted to see more miracles. Check it out in John 6, 2. A huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles they had seen him do. They weren't necessarily attracted by him and what he could do in their personal lives, 
But they wanted to see another miracle. They wanted to see another uh, blind man see, another lame woman walk. And, of course, they got to see the feeding of the 5,000 plus. But it's got to go beyond curiosity. You have to go beyond curiosity when you think about the miracles of Jesus or it's not going to be enough. The people you talk to, they might say, well, that's curious, you know. Jesus was just like other, you know, religious leaders, and he did things people couldn't explain all the time. That's curious, but that's as far as it goes for me. People like that, they need to know that that's not the right response. What about another wrong response? Religiosity, mere religiosity. See, religion is not righteousness with, you know, and, and according to, to Jesus. It is, it is less than that. Some just saw Jesus as a Jewish prophet predicted in the Old Testament. Now, that's good. That's probably a step further than some others, but not far enough. If you check it out in, in John 6, 14, they're saying this is the prophet for sure. God's prophet right here in Galilee. So it's like... He's right here in Galilee. Um, maybe we can get him to go down to Judea and Jerusalem and put down the Roman Empire. Uh, let's have a revolution. See, And even religious leaders back then might have jumped on that bandwagon, and yet it's not enough. And if you're simply hanging on to the religious idea that Jesus was a miracle worker, hmm, you've got to go further than that. And if somebody you're talking to says, well, that's just part of a lot of religions. They do miraculous things. But no. Now, all the religions of the world will promote the fact that they do some kind of miracles and some of their leaders did, and yet not like Jesus. And they're promoting their religion based on this. Jesus is promoting a relationship with him through understanding who he was, not just the miracles that he did. Well, one more wrong response. Necessity. Just necessity. Some just followed because they were hungry. Look at John 6, 26. Jesus gets really, you know, down to it here. He says... You've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you and filled your stomachs. These people were hungry, and they just wanted to eat. They had seen some sick people healed. Maybe some of them were sick. They wanted to be healed. But in this case, he knew that they were just there to feed them, have been, be fed and have their stomachs filled. This is a, a biting indictment on Jesus' part of people that just, in the moment, well, I need a miracle. And it's all about me, and it's a bit selfish, actually. I need Jesus to do something for me. There's nothing wrong with that desire, and yet it's got to be attached to some faith in who he is, not just what he can do for you. So, 
you're visiting with people about miracles, and particularly the miracles of Jesus, realize that, and maybe echo this to them, Jesus doesn't just want you to feel the need for him to do something in the moment. He wants you to come to know him as personal savior, and that will impact you for eternity. Well, what's the right response? What is the right response? Jesus gives it here, and he just rapid fire, boom, 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 boom. He says, this is the point. He, he wants certainty. That's the right response. Certainty in who he is and what he can do in your life. Be certain that Jesus is your bread of life and your personal savior. He wanted them to know that it's not just the bread that you put in your mouth and the fish that you eat. I want you to know that, that actually in respect to the bread, I have bread that will feed you for eternity, as it were. And he, he took this analogy of multiplying the loaves of bread in this miracle, and then he preached to them. He gave a message to them. And I want you to see these verses right stacked on top of each other. And Jesus is saying all of this, all right? Jesus is saying in John 6, 27, work for the food that nourishes everlasting life, for the Son of Man provides. Amen? John 6, 35. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. The person who comes to me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. Amen? And then in John 6, 47 and 48, I'm telling you the truth, Jesus says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Amen? And then John 6, 51, Jesus says very Plainly, I am the living bread who came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. Amen. Wow. This was the right response, responding to who he was. And he remains these things. And for you today, he can be the bread of life to you. It's not a bread you physically eat. It's a person that you believe in him it's personal faith in Jesus Christ that nourishes your soul as it were it gives you the nourishment you need to go to heaven so what are the takeaways from the message today let me just give you three takeaways I want you to awaken to Jesus' miracles, proving that he is divine. He is God. Period. Explanation point. Take that with you today. Because, now listen, if you don't believe that Jesus was and is divine, he cannot help you. Because he's not divine. You're thinking he's just another human religious leader of some kind. No, he is divine. At that point, in that point of faith, you believe that he was and is divine. You can be impacted by what he can give you. And what he wants to give you is not just some bread that would feed you for today, but 
bread that will nourish your soul for eternity. Take that with you, and that'll make a difference for now and eternity. The next one, awaken to Jesus' miracles, proving that he wants the best for you. Have you thought about the fact that the miracles that you experience, just one way that Jesus says, I love you, I'm here for you, I'm going to take care of you. There's probably miracles he's done for us that we don't even know about. Got to thank him for those first. But then thank him when you know for sure that you've just witnessed a miracle. You've, you have seen him at work in your life. He wants the best for you. And a miracle is a reminder of that. Embrace that. Rejoice in that. And then one more takeaway. Awaken to Jesus' miracles, proving that he wants to give you everlasting life. That was the point on that hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee there back in 32 AD, back in the first century. The message remains the same in the 21st century today. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish in hell, but have everlasting life in heaven. Everlasting life. Live forever. You were created to live forever. But during your lifetime, you must make a choice to believe in Jesus so that you can live forever in heaven. Because without that personal faith in Jesus as Savior, you're not then saved from the other destination called hell. I want to give you the opportunity today to make that choice make that decision. So let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you want to make sure you're right with Jesus and on your way to heaven, if you want to make sure you have partaken of this who is the bread of life, you can simply pray a prayer like this. Just whisper it in your heart to him right now. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you lived a perfect life. I believe that you were God in human form. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you rose again the third day for me. I take you as my Savior right now. Help me to grow in my faith. Help me to find a good church where I can be part of a church family like this church. Help me to know that your miracles are real. Lord Jesus, I thank you that today we could share your word and what the purpose of your miracles are and how they can make a difference in our lives, not only in the moment, but forever. 
And I thank you those that have made decisions today to believe in you. And I pray that they might have a sign even today and this week that it was the right choice to make and that they can become a part of a church family like this and grow in their faith. Thank you for the opportunity today to see you as the great miracle worker that you are. For we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.